Well, we were spending time last week in the book of Ecclesiastes, that, that uh, wonderfully uplifting book that you can't help but smile as you read every verse. Um, yeah, I'm being a little bit goofy about that, obviously, but we, we got down through uh, the end of chapter one. I think we were just about to get into chapter two, and we're, we're probably not going to do the, the whole book, even if I'm with you for several more weeks. I think we'll, we'll probably wind up skipping down to, to the last couple of chapters. Uh, I'll encourage you to read everything. But, but last week, we, you know, we were reading through um, what the, the, the preacher, as, uh, um, as he is, is typically translated here, this individual and what he is saying and and how he's talking about all of the things that are under the sun and how they are uh, Barbara, what would your bible say they're meaningless 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 and uh, a lot of scripture a lot of uh, verses will be translated as uh, or versions will have it translated as vanity and uh, and it's such a cynical approach to life as we read this but but let's keep in mind all the time that he's he's making a point by basically by being ironic um, as he continues to talk about everything that's under the sun and how absolutely meaningless he finds everything, he's trying to make the point that you'll never find satisfaction if you continue to look for it here on earth. If you wrap all of your hopes and all of your dreams, as we talked about, don't lay your treasures here, right? Lay your treasures in heaven because you will not find true worth and meaning in anything that is under the sun. And that's the point that, that the preacher continues to make as he goes about things. And, and the last part that we read last week when we were talking about the vanity of wisdom and how, again, we whether this is written by Solomon or it is based on Solomon, we can have that discussion all day long. But but, but understanding that at least this is probably from the viewpoint of how Solomon would look at things and come to the understanding that, that the way that he looks at wisdom, it's a, it's a bit ironic, and Ron, you brought up that, that you read about all the different things and re- references to wisdom through here. Um, it's a bit ironic that he finds wisdom to also be vanity, yet it's his wisdom that's allowing him to examine all of these things. So through that wisdom that he has, he's able to be wise enough to realize that you won't find any satisfaction in just being wise. And so it's a, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a, of, a, of a quandary when you come to the realization that he says that the more knowledge you have in verse 18 in chapter 1, the more knowledge you have, how much it increases sorrow. And we, we touched on that and said that the more that the more that you learn, the more that you realize you don't know, or perhaps the more meaningless you understand everything is. Because the more knowledge you have about everything in the world, the more you can look at it and say, yeah, but you know what? That's just gonna rot. That's just gonna die. That's just, and it winds up being vanity. And he makes that point as he talks about wisdom in that, framework. And so we're about ready to jump into chapter two. Any comments or or questions about chapter one before we uh, start reading in chapter two? Okay, so let's go ahead and read through this. And you again, you you know, this is this is not going to change too much until we get down to chapter three. And uh, so so we're going to do a lot of 
probably just straightforward reading blocks and then we'll stop and see if there's any any discussion that you feel moved to talk about. But in chapter two, verse one, he says, I said to my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to <clears throat> and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So he's laying out his credentials here and all the self-indulgence that he's involved in. This is, this is some life he's living. This is a man who has managed to, in his, in his, his kingdom, be able to have basically everything that you could think someone would be pursuing after. He's, he's been able to gather all silver and gold and all this treasure. He's got concubines, he's got slaves. And he's, so he's, he's seeking this meaning in enjoying yourself. Let's have fun and let's live it up with all these things that we have. But in verse 9, he says, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. So he keeps telling us about how wise he is and how much wisdom he had gained. Verse 10, he says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. So what you think about that for a minute? How many people find their entire purpose in their job? How many people find their entire meaning in their work? How many men do you know who have families, who have jobs, and they have this wonderful family at home, and yet when they something happens, they get laid off, they lose their job, they are absolutely distraught and totally destroyed. When Brad was going through that, that phase years ago when um, Hemmer laid him off, he had a talk with me, and if he were here, I know he wouldn't have a problem sharing this, but he said it's amazing how you come to the conclusion uh, that it's your job that you start to find self-worth in, and you don't realize that until you lose that job, and you start to feel like you're worthless. And so we find somebody here who is saying that that... I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil and this was my reward for all my toil. So he was working knowing that that work was going to get him all this stuff. And yet he continues to, to make these, these comparisons. He says in verse 11, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it and behold, 
All was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he works, he works, he works, he gains, he gains, he gains. He has everything, and in the end, he realizes it's just pointless. All of this stuff I've not found no meaning in. All these things have just led me back to the same place I was, was at before, and I love his analogies. It was striving after wind. He's just, he's just chasing the wind. How useless of an action is that? It's, a, it's an incredible picture to paint for us how he is looking at life. Because you never know what direction the wind is going to come. Oh, you don't, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And since you can't see it, <laughs> absolutely. And it becomes a futile endeavor in chasing after the wind and running after something you can't see. You don't know what direction it's going to go in next. And, and it's a wonderful analogy for how he's viewing his life and coming to a realization that, again, looking solely at what's around you, you know, what is, what, what's that bumper sticker? The one, he who dies with the most toys wins? Yeah, yeah, well, not really. Not really. Dale, you're getting ready to say something. I see it. I'm, I'm afraid to say it almost, but it sounds like a spiritual problem. It doesn't it, though? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's yeah. got everything, and he's, you know, he's like the rich person. Yes. Well, well obviously, he is. Well, he's a rich, but, but you're right, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what but, it is. It's, but, a, it's you know, no matter how much they have, they want more. And... Yeah. Uh, so, the inner peace that he's searching for, my answer would be it's... It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. And, and, that's, and that is why, you know, the preacher continues as he writes this to make reference. If you look at the very last line, he says, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. There's that, there's that phrase again where he continues to talk about how it, no matter how hard we try on this earth, and he keeps it making that reference to under the sun so we know what he's talking about, it's useless. It's absolutely useless. And I mean, how many times have you in life have you? It's happened to me. I know it's happened to me a billion times, where you 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 think to yourself, you know, if I just had that, then oh, everything would just be perfect. And you work 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 and you get it. And that feeling of fulfillment and enjoyment is is temporary and fleeting at best. And then all of a sudden, you look around and you say, well, if I just had this. I'll be okay. And then, so there's that. I, and then I'll work and I'll work and I'll work and I'll work and then I'll get this. Or even worse, I'll buy this now on a credit card and then I'll work and 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 I'll work to try and pay it off. You know, that it doesn't fulfill you. If anything, it, it, that, that instant, that need for instant gratification has led you to a path of just meaningless toil. Because now you have it you're already tired of it, and you haven't even paid for it yet. <laughs> Any other comments there? Just only God can give you true happiness. Amen. Yep. Only God can give you true happiness. Or, or, or let's let's state that differently. Only God can give you true joy. joy. Yeah. Yeah, because we know happiness can be fleeting, right? Happiness is going to be dependent upon our circumstances. But that joy, if we really have that joy, then it, it stays with us. It stays with us. 
verse, verse 12, he says, so I turned to consider wisdom. Am I right? Is that where I left off? Yeah. Okay. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. So he's looking and comparing these things. For what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Okay, so he looks at these things. He's looking at wisdom and madness and folly. And he says, you know, there's, it's better to be wise than to be a fool. There, because you can, you can gain some, some experiences. You, you have the ability to see things. But in the end, it's just as empty as being a fool because you meet with the same fate. What the same thing happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, in verse 15, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because that is under, that is done under the, oh boy, I can't read this. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. So it continues on the same fate, no matter what he looks at, when he continues to examine what he has, examine, well, what if I'm, what if I'm wise? That's cool. What if I'm a fool? Well, I guess there's, that's a little bit worse, but there's things I can say about that too. But you know what, when it's all said and done, we're all going to die. And not only are we going to die, but the people who come after us are going to have the same problem. They're going to suffer the same fate. And you know what? When I look at things like that, I get depressed and I hate life by saying what he's saying. Verse 17, you, you know what we say last week that this is, if, if this was someone who was sitting right here right now saying these things, I said last week we would, try, we would send them to therapy. We would tell them, you need to talk to somebody. And that's when I, well, we talked about the difference between Christian counseling versus secular counseling and how Christian counseling makes the assumption that, there, that no one is good except God and how secular counseling assumes that there is good in everyone. And because of that assumption, they try to find in secular counseling far too often purpose in the world and purpose in in your life and what you're doing and where you're living and the people around you and all those things and they don't try to find purpose in God and as long as that's where you are told to focus your attention as we find here in reading Ecclesiastes it's an empty endeavor but if we look at the at the the, the basis of Christian counseling which is essentially discipleship it's going to say listen you need a savior that's your problem. It's a spiritual problem, as Dale said. And the more you look at what's around you and try to find total satisfaction, it's going to be fleeting at best. And so you need to understand 
that you got to know Jesus and you need to understand why you need a savior and accept what he did for you. And as, as Carolyn said, that's going to lead you to that place where you've got joy and you get happiness through that. I said, I, I, I read a lot of arrogance from, from verse nine on probably back further than that. Oh yeah. But is it like Dale said, it seems like he's just in a lot of spiritual code of war. You know, he, he's holding on to the things of the world and trying to seek pleasure in that. But I find that in verse nine, he says, uh, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me and my wisdom never failed me. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's godly wisdom isn't on the radar. It's, it's his wisdom. It's his wisdom. Yeah. 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 So that, that really, I think it's a great point. It really, it goes along with, you don't, you don't give credit where credit is due. You did. You don't give God credit for what you have. You're just saying, "This is mine. I got it." Yeah. And there's emptiness in that. That leads to more vanity. But you're, uh, you're right. I think the 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 arrogance of, uh, you know, when you you read through, I think it's the ESV Study Bible that 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 says, essentially, this is um, uh, this is him giving his credentials, you know, laying out his credentials, and that's all well and good. But but the bottom line is that he can lay out all the credentials he wants. He sounds arrogant in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's blowing his own horn, without a doubt. But the Apostle Paul, he he gave the example of that he was content, you know, whether he was in riches or whether he was in prison, that joy was there with him. Absolutely. Well, and the Apostle Paul is, is so unique. What is it? Uh, what was it? Um, Matt Chandler always like to say about the Apostle Paul. I said, you know, you can uh, no matter what you throw at him. Essentially, he's he's always focused on serving God. And he's, he talked about how you can, you know, we'll do this to you. Well, that's fine. I'll you know, I'll just praise Jesus. Well, we'll kill you. Well, that's okay. You know, um, uh, you know, if I if I do, I'll be with Jesus. That makes it all, all right. Well, we'll throw you in jail. Well, that's okay. I'll I'll sing and, and convert your guards. You know, whatever you whatever you do to me, it doesn't matter. I'm going to stay focused on what I need to be focused on and find a way to do it in all circumstances. And that's the exact opposite view. If he hadn't been in prison, we probably wouldn't have a lot of Oh, yeah. If he hadn't been in prison, my goodness, would have found time to write or to dictate, whichever you want to, yeah, however you want to go at it. But no, without a doubt. Yeah, without a doubt. <clears throat> Let's see. Where did we leave off? Here we go. So we're, we're, um, we're, we're on verse 18, are we not? Yeah. All right. I, I totally messed my screen up. I was trying to get it back. Well, I did something here where I swiped and I took the whole thing. All my, all my books were gone. So <clears throat> verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. What a view, huh? And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So he's looking at everything going, I'm just going to leave this to somebody else and they're going to enjoy it. Why should I even do all this? I mean, this is this guy is, is just getting... You, when you think he's at rock bottom, he lifts up he, he lifts up a rock and digs a little deeper. But for this Solomon, he didn't... What he, he inherited what his father did. So he himself really didn't... <laughs> I mean, he, yes, he built the temple. Yes, he did. Everything else that was there besides the temple came from his father. 
So, so in his view, he's looking at it saying, everything my father did came to me and everything I'm doing is going to somebody else. So, so yeah, it's great that all this stuff is here and it's great that somebody gets to enjoy this stuff, but what meaning is there in it for me? Because I'm just going to die and somebody else gets all my toys. I mean, it's a cynical viewpoint, but it's accurate because it's a spiritual problem. We're missing what is above the sun. We're missing what's beyond the, the earth, and that's really the whole point of what we're, what we're reading through. Let's see, I'll start, start back at 19. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. Verse 20, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? And notice he's, he's qualifying all of this for being beneath the sun. Verse 23, for all the days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the light, even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. And every now and then I like to stop, Barb, and throw that in there. Meaningless. Because it that really does drive it home. Yeah, well, and then my other, um, in verse 23, it says, all their days work is free from pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. Yes. Yeah, and I can, I mean, that, that, that line right there, and you can ask my wife, that probably describes me more than anything in this in, entire, uh, all the verses we've read. It seems like for whatever reason at night, my mind is busier than it is during the daytime. And it's, and it's, that, it's that focus on we must accomplish things. We must do this. We must do this. And, and every now and then we need to stop. And we need to say, yeah, we, we need to do things. It's good to work well. It's good to give it your best. It's good to show people that a Christian cares about what they do. But when you let, let your work consume you, especially if it's for the pursuit of material things, and you think that you will find fulfillment in that, this tells us it's not going to happen. And so when you get there and you get what you were working for and you find that you're not happy, you shouldn't be surprised because you've been told. You've been told. When at Rockefeller, somebody asked him how much is enough, and he said enough, enough is not enough. Enough is not enough. Yeah, I'm not sure if he said it or not, but... but somebody with lots of money. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> was asked, you know, how much... You know, is it going to take you to be satisfied? And he said, "There's never enough." Yeah, there are some people who are flat out never, never satisfied. I went, um, uh, Ron, you can relate to this. I, I hate to keep bringing you and Meyer Tool up, but there were years ago. I, I flew up to. Uh, uh, Pennsylvania with with Arlen and uh, and our uh, the pilot Norb, and we were doing a demonstration of a thing for a, a, a business up there, and we were getting ready to get out of the car, and Arlen looked at me and he says, "Are you nervous? Because I've never done this before." And I said, um, "No, not really. I said, I think I know what I'm going to do." And he said, "Well, listen," he says, "I'll tell you what. You get in there, 
just do your best. And he says, he says, and, and, and I'll be satisfied. And we started to walk in and we got about two steps across the parking lot. And he, and he reached out and grabbed my shoulder. He says, hang on a minute. I, you need to know something. I said, what's that? He said, I am never satisfied. <laughs> he says, you might make me happy today, but you're going to have to keep trying again tomorrow. <laughs> and I thought, okay, I don't, no pressure now. You know, so. <laughs> But there are, and, and he meant that, and, you know, he meant that in a keep working, keep striving kind of way. But there are some folks who are just flat out never satisfied, no matter what. Anything else? Okay. Keep losing my place. 24? Yeah. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. What's happening here? What is he starting to talk about? What does that say to you? He hasn't made these kinds of references before. He hasn't talked about God <clears throat> up until this point to any, any extent. And he starts to make it sound as though that God has a, has a, a hand in some things, that God might, might actually be involved in something. What does this, what's this say to you? Taking his eyes on the himself and putting them on God. I, I think we, we see that. I think we see that. I have to agree with you. It does it does appear that he is he's starting to say, well, you know, I do need to make a point here. And he goes into a little bit more uh, in chapter three uh, with regard to to God and uh, let me let me read something to you from uh, the study Bible here real quick it says. If one has, is this right? Yeah. If one has no certainty of making a lasting impact on the world through the result of one's work, the best that one can hope for is to find enjoyment in toil and in God's simple gifts of food and drink. Such enjoyment is to be viewed as a gift from the hand of God granted to the one who pleases him rather than to the sinner. So that's a restatement of verses 24 through, through 26. So, so we realize that the, the preacher or the, the person who's writing this, his perspective, there's, there is an, a, a bigger meaning to all of the things that, that he's sharing with us. And, you know, it, it, uh, it, it's, it's oftentimes that, that people use reverse psychology. And, you know, we do it on our children. We do it on ourselves sometimes. And, and we, we talk about to the extreme one thing in order to make a point about something else. And that's really what's going on here. Like the sinner who was trying to do good by doing good works to please God and to get on God's good graces. But it's where, God, where the Christian one who is there pleasing God sincerely, God's given them all that and not, you know, because he knows they're going to use their gifts for good to return. But the sinners try to do it for themselves. Selfish purposes. So for the sinner, it's like chasing the wind. Not so much the Christian and those who are seeking after God earnestly, 
But the sinner, no matter what he does, he can never earn enough for God's grace because he's doing it for the wrong reasons. That, that kept on. Yeah. Did you catch me? Yeah, I got it. I got you. I got it. I was, I had, I think I had to catch up to you, Barb, but I got there. Uh, so. <laughs> Every now and then you run on ahead and I get there. You know, I got bad legs. So. <laughs> Verse 26 just kept on like getting at me because I was trying to figure out what he was saying because he talks about the goodness, but then he also talks about the sinner still gathering but and storing up the wealth just to hand it over to the one who pleases God. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you think about that that restatement from uh, I read from the study Bible. Um, he's saying that such enjoyment is to be viewed as a gift from the hand of God granted to the one who pleases him rather than than to the sinner. So so what if the sinner is, is getting if the sinner is getting those things, um, essentially, it, it's not a gift from God. Yeah. Yeah. And what the, the sinner is given back to God, we're, we're going to enjoy that as our gift once we get to heaven. <laughs> but the sinner, the thing she's talking about there is it. I mean, there's not going to be anything better. When we yeah. get this place, we're going to do better. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. You might be able to make a sermon out of that. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> what, I had, 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 a, had a professor at, uh, uh, at college who he'd, he'd, he'd read something and he'd He'd go down through the verses and he'd stop and he would look up. Of course, LD would do this too. And he'd just look up and he'd go, well, that'll preach. (laughs) (laughs) So he he does continue on in verse verse three. We've got a couple more minutes here. Or in chapter three, sorry. And and this is where um, if you've, well, let's just read through it down down to verse eight. He says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to, to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Um, remember the, the, well, it was from the 1960s, The Birds? <laughs> yeah, this influenced that, uh, that song. And then there was another song called There Is a Time. Um, yep. So there were this these these verses have uh, have influenced some rather rather popular songs uh, over the years and and it, and it makes a you know a strong a strong point that again if we're if we're trying to get a, a picture of where his mindset is for him to start off chapter three here and to say these words we do have a picture that he has an understanding. That that there is a, that that these, there's a, a time when all of these things in life will happen, and they need to happen, and they must happen. 
Uh, there's going to be a time when we when we give things up. There's going to be a time when when we feel certain ways. There's going to be a time when when all of these events in life will come and and will happen and will will affect us in one way or the other. And uh, but but at the same time, um, we think about and and put that together with all the things he said prior to this, and and realize, yeah, he's sharing this with us. But is he thinking that all of these things are, are just pointless? Or is he, is he starting to say that, that God's hand is involved in giving us these things and God hand, God's hand is involved in leading us through these times? Um, there's, there's, you know, there's some thought that we can put into this and, uh, and try to say, where is, he, where is he really coming from? Um, 757 here. Don't want to keep you too late. I've been known to run over and I don't want to do that tonight. Verse 9, he says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What is the significance of him saying that he has realized that God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. What what does that what's that mean? Well, he put it in there so we continue to search and seek him. Yeah. I mean, if we knew all the answers, we'd just say, oh, okay, well, I can set back and don't have to worry about anything. But without knowing, we had to continue to seek him, seek his guidance on where our journey needs to go next. So so that's that's one perspective, and I'll give you another one. Another perspective from the attitude that the writer seems to have with regard to life in general is it's a depressing thought that life continues after I do. Eternity is in my heart. I know that there is something after me. I know that life will continue on and it will continue to go. And because of that, it causes me to search for meaning in what I'm doing. And since I'm searching for meaning in what I'm doing, I'm going to find all of this to be useless and it should lead me to God. That whole thought process that, and if you, if you think about this enough, you can drive yourself crazy. You can sit and think about, after me, everything keeps going. And, and there's, there could be a part of you that says, I don't want that. I don't, I don't want to miss that. But then you have to say, well, if I look at it that, from that perspective, then I'm going to find emptiness. So if we really think about why did God put eternity in man's heart, there's got to be a bigger meaning. There's got to be something else to look at. So now we, can, now we can turn to God and now we can realize that there's fulfillment in Christ and we can realize that, that when we filter things through the eyes of eternity, there is more than this. 
And putting eternity in, in, in the heart of man has a, an incredible purpose. I'm going to stop there, give you a, a, one more opportunity for anything anybody else would like to say or share. Or just putting that eternity, God putting that eternity, the sense of eternity in our heart. Almost like what you're saying, makes us, we have to stop and think, where do we want to spend our eternity? Do we want to spend our eternity with Christ and have all the fulfillments or spend eternity in hell with, with all emptiness? Of course, the assumption there is that we realize there is an eternity after we die. Anybody read the comments from, I hope you didn't because it's depressing, the comments from Arnold Schwarzenegger this week? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. When you die, you're dead. You're in the ground. You're six feet under. And anybody who tells you anything other than that is a liar. And that's, you know, that he was way more colorful than that. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, people. Yeah. I used to that. What's that? I used to believe that. And a lot, of, a lot of people still believe it. A lot of people still believe it. Um, but, but you're right. Uh, there's, there's, there's a lot we can pull out of this. With understanding that God has put eternity into our heart, um, and, I, and it is so that we can seek Him in That's the just end. A prime example where He is searching for worldly. Absolutely. And not what we're all should be seeking for. And we, yep. we know that we have eternity in our hearts, that we get so busy in this life that we just get caught right up in with everybody else. But then you lose somebody very close to you. Hmm. And it really, then you just see everybody else running around like, you know chasing all these things, but you're not now because you are tuned in because you really feel eternity then. And you look at them and you go, what's wrong with all you people? Right. Yeah. But then eventually you jump right back in. But, I mean, it never becomes more real. Just how meaningless all this stuff is. When something really tough comes. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah, I agree with Barbara. It's just in chapter three. I mean, it's all worldly. There's time for everything. He never mentions that there's a time for prayer. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't go there, does he? No, but there's a great country song out there. Do this while you can. And he gives all these examples of life, like with your grandfather, with your son, with your mother, or whatever. And he says, do this. And he always ends it with, why you can Over and over again, the song. I can't remember the name of it. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm so removed from modern country music, I couldn't tell you. But country music I listen to is 40, 50 years old. So. Yeah. Who makes yourself I think I was actually driving in the car one day and I heard it and I I literally did kind of sit there for a moment and say you know that is so true you know we just I mean it made me stop and really think about it and I don't even know where I was driving at the time but you know I could have been driving off the edge of the earth or something, you know? like, really was because it caught me at that point but I can't remember and I thought oh I'm not going to forget the name of that song, and I did. I still got to Google that song last week that I couldn't think of. It was that probably crazy song. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, you were talking about, about the acts about, you know, hoping to fall from the airplane. Right, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 I mean, it was back, what, in the early 90s, maybe mid 90s, I don't know. It could have been in the early 2000s, who knows? I don't know. I can't think. Thanks, Josh. It was just, it was just so funny. <laughs> I'll have to try Josh just sent me a link to the lyrics of the song you're talking about. <laughs> so, <laughs> you think it is? Okay. Okay. Well, it's been, was it was it Benjamin Franklin said, "Live every live." Okay, gotcha. Okay, yeah, and that's what he just sent me. I think it was Benjamin Franklin said, "Live every day like it's your last, because one day it will be." There's a lot of, a lot of uh, I was getting ready to say there's a lot of wisdom in that, but uh, wisdom's not necessarily all that important sometimes, is it? Yeah. <laughs> all right, well, thank you for the discussion tonight. Thanks, everybody, for coming out, and I uh, appreciate you being here. And we'll go ahead and, and uh, close. I, I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Father, we are so grateful that you've preserved this for us to, to be able to sit here tonight, Lord, and, uh, and just to, to, to talk about you, Lord, to lift you up and to, to realize by reading these words the importance of having this relationship with you. Uh, Lord, the importance of, of being able to, to realize that the, the meaninglessness of, of the pursuits that exist on this earth Lord, without you, there is nothing. Father, help us to always keep you at the center of all that we do. Help us to not compartmentalize our lives and, and say, well, you don't need to put God here. We need to keep this from, this, this will just be our thing. And, and, and Lord, we're going we're gonna to shut you out. No, we need to, to keep you in every aspect of our lives. We need to pray about all aspects of our lives and, and just recognize that you are always with us and in the midst of, of everything that we're doing and every experience that we have and every blessing that we receive. And uh, just grow and grow and know you more each and every day. And Lord, help us to, to develop that relationship and to recognize that these earthly pursuits will never satisfy us. And Lord, thank you again for allowing us to do this this evening. And I thank you so much for all those who were able to be here. And we ask you to be with those who were not with us this evening and, and just watch over, protect, and guide them, Lord. And we look forward uh, uh, to what you'll do as we move forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you.